Welcome back to the Ritual and Routine Podcast. I am your host, Mary Spirito. I'm an optimization coach, an intuitive healer, amongst other things. And here on this podcast, I'm all about bridging the gap between the holistic and scientific, between the body, mind, and soul. So welcome, welcome. I'm so excited for you to join me today. If you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe rate, review, so that other people can see what is possible for themselves when they listen. And if you feel so inclined, please share it with your friends. If you share it on Instagram, tag me at Ritual and Routine, and I would love to keep up the conversation outside of this container. With that being said, let's get this party started. This story must really want to be shared because every day since I released the last podcast, I've had this little push in my mind to talk about the job that I had before I became a healer. And I I haven't really spoken. You guys have heard me talk a lot about my past working in the medical field when I worked in neuroscience, when I worked in cancer research, but I haven't really talked about what I did in between when I left that job and when I became a healer. Well, first, technically, I became a health coach, and then I kind of have evolved into this healer that I am today, but When I left Boston, so I was living in Boston, working at Dana-Farber Cancer Research Institute, and I decided, I just had this impulse that it was time for me to to move to New York City. I'm not going to really go into the logistics of why that decision came about. I had a serious boyfriend at the time. We were together for almost five years. We were like living together and then all of a sudden I just had this really strong impulse that it was time for me to take my life to New York City, you know, the big apple where things happen. I'm sure a lot of us have had that, have had that similar impulse who are now in New York City now. Anywho, within a month of making that decision, and that's how things generally move with me, I move very fast. So I moved to New York, decided to move to New York within a month, canceled my lease with my boyfriend at the time and was looking for a job, ultimately broke up with said boyfriend, even though he was not, not for anything other than we were just not in aligned paths. He was an amazing human. Um, he really taught me a lot anyways. Also another story. So when I arrived in New York city, I was in this moment of feeling so lost on what I should do. I tried the whole maybe going to medical school thing. I tried the whole research science thing and it wasn't feeling good. I still had this aspect of me that wanted to be the healer, but a part of me thought, okay, this doesn't seem to be working out. Maybe I should just try something new altogether. So really my main priority when moving to New York City wasn't so much Yeah, I mean, in a way it was about finding purpose, but I think it was more so about making connections, meeting new people, having an expansive life experience as an adult, and New York has a lot of opportunities for that. 
So I thought maybe I'll try to dip my toe in something that is completely fucking different than science, completely different than the healing arts at that time too, along with being in the medical sciences, I was also a yoga teacher. So it was, you know, I, I was working on a thread when it comes to the mind body arts and it just wasn't hitting. So I was like, fuck it. Maybe I need to do something completely different. So I put in applications in many different fields. I was looking at fashion. Really, I think what was the main filter for the jobs that I was looking at outside of the mind body arts and the reason why I kind of swung in the completely opposite direction was I am really interested in aesthetics. I love getting dressed up. I love fashion. I love architecture. I love, like, I'm a very visual person. I'm a very, very visual person. So I thought, fuck it. Like, let's try something that maybe has to deal with aesthetics, like physical aesthetics. Maybe it's fashion. Maybe it's interior design. Maybe it's architecture and buildings, et cetera. Mind you, I don't know anything about, I mean, I would say I know something about fashion, um, but I don't really know much about real estate or interior design other than, you know, my little beige palace that I've created. Anywho, so I start applying for whatever reason, I think real estate. Okay, real estate sounds like something that I could be interested in. And I applied to work at this real estate development firm. It's this luxury real estate development firm. It's in this ritzy location. It has like a lot of sex appeal. The office is decorated really well. They're developing these beautiful buildings all over Manhattan. People seem to know these buildings. I don't know shit about architecture other than I'm like, you know, I see a nice building and I'm like, that's a nice building. I know that sounds ridiculous, especially since some of you guys are pro- probably work in real estate who are listening to this and is like, okay, wow. But that's just not my forte. But I thought maybe it could be. So I applied to this real estate development firm. It seems sexy. I am really excited at the possibility of maybe trying something new. So I have this whole fantasy where I'm thinking in my head, what if I become like this big real estate magnet in New York City? Maybe this has been my thing all along and I didn't realize it. So I come in with a lot of confidence into this interview. And I think what they're looking for is an executive assistant position. However, because I come in with so much confidence and I'm eager to learn, I'm a fast learner, I'm pretty well-spoken, I'm a well-rounded human, I would like to think, I somehow convinced them that I would be available to learn more about what it would look like to work in development and kind of craft my path with this company as I go along. They're very interested in me. I'm very interested in them. So somehow, instead of landing the title of executive assistant, I land this title of development associate. And I think I'm a big deal. I'm working under the vice president of development and the vice president of construction. And the idea here is that we're going to go along together, me, my team, and they're going to teach me everything that I need to know so I can become a dynamic player that they can use me. I can use them to forward my career. It's this beautiful marriage, etc. However, from the jump... <laughs> there seems to be some issues. One, the environment of the office is quite chaotic, 
toxic. People are talking behind each other's backs. There's obviously things that are going on with the different employees in the office that are inappropriate. I'll get into that in a little bit. And the there's an energy and a culture of, it's kind of like Machiavellian. The ends justify the means. So there's a lot of dishonesty. It's just, it feels pretty icky. But there's this one individual, one woman who's a C-suite individual who kind of becomes the cornerstone of the culture there. So even though there's a lot of toxicity, etc., there is some air of community that she creates. And I ask her to be my mentor for the first couple of weeks. It seems as though even though there's this really dense culture of toxicity, I'm trying to make things work, okay? Well, a couple weeks later, she decides to leave. And when she leaves, the whole thing collapses <laughs> when it comes to the energy of the office and what that means for me. I should mention before I even start my job, one of the individuals, so I said I worked on the, under the VP of construction and under the VP of development, I come on the scene and the VP of development is not there, is away for three months and no one will tell me why which is quite interesting because I'm supposed to be working under this person and learning from him and managing him and I have no idea where he is what his deal is everyone's keeping it a fucking secret I'm the new girl I'm really lost so in my mind I can I can pick up the fact that there are some undertones of wherever he is, it's not a good thing. So I think, all right, maybe the dude's in rehab. Maybe he's in rehab and then he'll come back and then we'll we'll do our thing together. Well, I don't find out until the day he returns when he calls me into his office and he meets me for the first time and he tells me... <laughs> Well, actually, first he asked me, do you know where I've been? And I said, no. Turns out everyone's pretty tight-lipped around here. And he tells me that he's been in jail. He's been in prison. So here I am getting to blind react for the first time of my new boss, who I have yet to meet, who I've been working in this job for three months, kind of twiddling my fingers, not really sure what to do, no direction, telling me that he's been in jail. And I mean, first impressions are really quite interesting. I'm like, am I allowed to ask why he was in jail? What's the situation here? His aura is really dense and very penetrative and he kind of scares me. So I think I just throw a smile and I'm like, okay, that's cool. I try to keep it really neutral. And also I will say, I, especially now, but even then, I'm I'm always someone to have the benefit of the doubt. People make mistakes, things happen. You know, I, I, I like to take and gather information on individuals based off of my experience with them rather than leaning into their reputation. Also, I'm an empath. So energetically, I'm picking up a lot of information on people 
when I'm meeting them, when I'm in their energy, more so than if someone were to tell me about them. But it was it was a really interesting start. So now I have both of my quote unquote bosses that are there. The idea of this role is that I'm supposed to be working with them. They're supposed to be teaching with me, but they're so enthralled in the projects that they're working on and not approachable whatsoever that when I do try to ask questions and when I have this beginning, you know, that beginner's curiosity where I'm excited for the sake of being excited for the sake of being a beginner, well, when they're not really making time when I'm coming in and asking to create time, my beginner's curiosity starts to wear off. And so this role that's supposed to be teachable and dynamic and we're supposed to learn from one another, I just decide, especially since I don't have any weeping why behind this, I'm not like, oh, my whole life I've wanted to work in real estate development. That's definitely not the case. So That motivation has waned and I just kind of decide to sit back, become more of an executive assistant role in this whole gig. And I'm still acclimating to my life in New York City. So it actually feels energetically correct for me just to kind of sit back, do my thing, and just kind of see how this whole thing unfolds. So fast forwarding, my mentor, the cultural kingpin of this whole situation, (laughs) She leaves, chaos ensues, I find out my boss is in prison, and energetically, the energy of the office becomes more dense than ever. There are always people who are fighting audibly, audibly fighting, usually with my boss, the one who was in prison, and... A couple of different things happened to me while I work in this job that I'm going to share with you now that were really traumatizing and triggering for me. My boss, the one, we'll just call him P-Man, okay? The one who was in prison. P-Man is a grade A narcissist, which I don't really come to find out until I've been in therapy for this for a while. But he has this ability that when you are in his presence and he is about you and he's charming you, you feel like you're the prettiest girl in the room, right? You feel interesting. He makes you laugh. There's a sense of intimacy that happens. But then, like a narcissist, there's this flip an automatic withdrawal. Next thing you know, you're in trouble with him. You can't talk to him because energetically he's inaccessible. My my boss, P-Man, had this way of working with me that not only was traumatizing for my daddy issues, <laughs> Because I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted him to like the work that I was doing. He was my boss. Sometimes he would act really proud of me. And then other times he would gaslight me into believing that the work that I was doing wasn't good enough. He would expect me without communicating to me how he wanted me to deal with things, to know what to do. It was a bad situation. But what was perhaps even worse was the way that he would look at me. I remember walking into his office at times. I would wear skirts with leggings or stockings, whatever the fuck you call them, not leggings. I haven't worn stockings in so long that I just don't even, like, I don't even know what to call them. Anyways, I'd wear skirts or dresses with stockings. 
and heels, what have you. I was dressed modestly. I kept to myself. But on the days that I didn't wear heels, I remember one time he told me that I looked, and I know this is, you know, politically incorrect, but this is what he said. He said that I looked like a lesbian and he made, he was making jokes about that. One time I was wearing high heels and he told me that I had really nice legs with a smirk on his face that was kind of implying something. Just, it really, it felt very skeevy. He would make comments about the way that I looked, um, if he liked the dress on me that day. And it wasn't like, hey, that's a nice dress. Because you can compliment someone in a way. You guys know what I'm talking about. He would have a smirk on his face and he would say something to the effect of like, that dress is nice. Or like, it just, oh my God, it just creeps me out to think about. Anyways, he made a lot of comments that made me feel very objectified and made me feel very unsafe in his presence. But also had this like, when he had the charm on, because he was withdrawing so much of the time when he did put the charm on and he had this way of bringing you in, it was like whiplash working with him. It was like, it was so emotionally abusive. We would be working with vendors and contractors and he would ask me to lie to them all the time and I hate lying. So I was always having to lie. Usually it's about money. I would have to field questions about money. People would be calling to get paid and I would have to lie. And it felt really, really terrible. Also, he somehow had his hands in with, you know, the way it works with real estate, (laughs) the political system and the powers that be can either make it easy for you or difficult for you when it comes to zoning and building buildings. So there was definitely some shady dealings with this one guy who was trying to get elected. Just, I'm not going to get into it, but it was definitely shady. I did not like it. Some of the contractors that we were working with as well and vendors were players in different criminal organizations. (laughs) that were pretty well known. I remember one time there was a gentleman in the finance department. We had been kind of friendly. I was communicating with this one gentleman who was a contractor or or worked for, I don't exactly remember. I just remember that I was having to communicate with this guy a lot. He was coming into the office. He was having lots of meetings with my boss, (laughs) P-Man, and... The guy in the finance department asked me if I've ever looked him up on the internet before. And I said, no. And he goes, why don't you take a look? I took a look. And this guy at one point had been in prison for a while because of, I can't, I can't remember if it was manslaughter, like suspected manslaughter. Anyway, there was, he had been deemed one of the most dangerous men in New York City at the time that the article was written. And You can imagine that when you're dealing with already a very toxic, volatile environment, I'm working with people who were once deemed dangerous, one of the dangerous men in New York City, suspected of manslaughter. If not, I can't remember if he did, if they got him for that or not. Anyways, it was just, it was the worst. But still, my wounding is coming up. I am trying to make it work. I like the fact that I'm working for a ritzy company. 
so many of my wounds come up during this time and my heart goes out to, to this version of myself who had such low self-esteem and really just wanted her life in New York City to work, felt really lost in her purpose, wasn't really sure what she was going to do anymore, that I stayed in a toxic situation for so long. Also, when you're working and you are in the same energy as a narcissist, there are powers at play, especially when you're an empath, that makes it, it makes it kind of hard to leave. And then I have a couple of stories that are kind of like Wolf of Wall Streety. Like there was a drug dealer, you guys, that would come to the office, come to the office and people would get their drugs from the drug dealer that would come to the office. There was like one main guy who was buying drugs from this guy and then people would go down. I remember the architect would buy drugs. Um, people were buying drugs, okay? People were buying blow. People were buying molly. Um, at one point, I think I heard someone buying mushrooms. I don't know. People were buying drugs from a guy who came to our office, okay? So if that gives you any indication of what was going on, I remember that there were office parties that were happening where people would be doing um, blow in the conference rooms. One time I was at a work dinner and the CFO, so I had become, I, I tried to make this, my circumstances work, okay? A lot also as well, a lot of my traumas were coming up during this time. My self-esteem was mega low and I had this narcissist who was my boss. Anyway, I was I was trying to make my life in New York City work and a lot of my identity was hinged upon being successful with work. And so the idea of leaving this job, even though it was the fucking worst, uh, what scared me more was people viewing me as a failure. So I definitely stayed in it longer than I did. And my heart goes out to that version of myself that felt scared, that was traumatized, that was kind of in this fond mentality to make things work. Anyways, I start trying to make my circumstances work. And because I'm a healer at heart, I start trying to fucking heal everyone. So I'm working with a couple people in the office and I'm putting them on supplements and I'm giving them meal plans and I'm like helping them peel their physical bodies. Anyways, that creates, that's about like the only lifelines that I have to people in the office is where I'm helping them heal themselves. Anyways, so the CFO was one of those individuals who we were having conversations about it, et cetera. We were a little friendly, but I was sitting at this work dinner next to him and all of a sudden, he flips this this bag of cocaine into my lap. And I remember thinking, what the fuck? I take the bag of cocaine, I shove it under my leg, and I give him this look like, what are you doing? But I'm also at this crossroads because I'm like, I don't want to make a big deal. I don't want to make a scene. I don't want people to see that I have fucking cocaine under my leg. So I just take it. I put it in my purse. He then texts me later and it something like this is for you or something. I don't know why he's offering me a peace offering or trying to barter for my friendship using blow, but it that's not my thing. So I throw the blow down the toilet. I'm just kind of like, all right, that's weird, but I'm going to continue to roll with it. And I'm rolling with it and I'm like trying to make things work into the office, but then things start to happen that really, really start to traumatize my sexual assault. So in the past, those of you guys who have been with me for a while, who've been listening to the podcast know 
I was sexually assaulted as a child. It was like my first memory into my life, sexually assaulted as an adult. I have since worked through all of that trauma, really turned that trauma into my power. But at that point in time, I was still really working in the depths of that trauma and working on releasing it from my body. I had bad PTSD still and things were happening in the office that were so incredibly triggering for me. One time I was getting in the elevator with the main architect who had been one had become a friend to me, really, um, was someone that I felt seen by, was sensitive. He was great. But he also definitely used humor and kind of dark humor in a way in order to in order to appeal to these really dense auric people in my office with toxic energy. And I remember one time we got in the elevator together and as we were getting on the elevator, the managing principal of the company who don't even get me started was like the most toxic of them all aside from P-Man. As he was passing, he was coming out of the elevator. We were getting in the elevator and he asked the architect, where are you guys going? And the architect said, I'm going to go have sex with her. And then the managing principal said, finally, glad someone's doing it. And I know that they were joking, but that is not something you fucking joke about. The fact that I was standing right there and they were making jokes about having sex with me, especially without my consent, made me feel so fucking terrible. And that was the beginning where I realized, okay, like (laughs) I'm an object to these people. I have done nothing but to be courteous, nice. I try to keep my my personal life separate from the office life. And here I am, and these jokes are being made about me. That same managing principal, I remember one time, for whatever reason, he was going to San Ambrose by our office uh, in order to meet somebody. And my boss's P-man tells me, can you go take this document to him And can you sit with him? And I'm like, okay, that's weird, but okay. So I go, I take this document to him, and I am sitting with him, and I realize that the reason why I'm there, because mind you, I'm just, I'm not taking notes. Like, I I don't know anything about who this person is that he's talking to. I'm there to be arm candy. I'm there to be the pretty girl to look at. And I'm there to be quiet. And that infuriated me so slowly but surely I'm I'm creating a case in my mind of why I absolutely cannot work at this place anymore I'm at this point calling my mom every single day on the phone crying my eyes out so unhappy feeling so lost trying to figure things out at a certain point in time I enroll in IIN Because I'm like, okay, fuck it. This is so bad that I have to figure out what I truly want to do. And what I truly want to do as I'm in my rock bottom, it is made apparent to me that I don't want anyone to have to go through and feel the self-esteem issues that I'm working with and feel the traumas that are being triggered and feel the eating disorder aspects that are showing up because of these triggers that I'm working through. So I enroll in IIN and 
with my neuroscience background as well, I start to understand more and more of what it could look like for me to be a coach, to help other people heal, to get out of this so that I can do what my soul really feels called to do. So as a middle finger to these guys, I'm doing my work, but then a lot of the time what I'm doing is I'm I'm learning how to build a business. I'm learning how to build a business. I'm learning how to be a coach. I start onboarding clients. I start ritual and routine. So yes, I started ritual and routine while I was still in this. But because I was in such a rock bottom place and I was so desperate to get out there and start doing work to help women who are feeling triggered, who are feeling lost, who wanted to heal their bodies, who were experiencing all the things that a lot of the things I had worked through, but some of the things I was still working through. Because of that strong motivation, I really think it allowed me to get to move through some limiting beliefs pretty fast out of necessity and to get really, really fucking clear on what it is that I wanted to serve and how I wanted to serve and who I wanted to serve. And because of that, I attribute my rapid success with the the inception of ritual and routine to the fact that I was in this strong rock bottom. Rock bottoms aren't always a bad place to be Because sometimes the rock bottoms allow parts of your ego to fall away because you are so desperate to create that happiness, to find purpose. The little fears, the little blocks of, what will people think of me? Maybe I can't do this. What if I can't make money? A lot of those fall away when you're in a scenario where you're like, I'm fucking desperate. So I'm behind the scenes. I'm working on ritual and routine. I'm starting to have clients. It's all very feeling very exciting. I remember I would take long lunch breaks. Like I was basically begging these people to fire me. I was taking long lunch breaks. And during those lunch breaks, I would have consultations. I would have sessions. I would start seeing clients after work. And then I got to this point where pretty seamlessly, I would have my day job and then I would have my night job of becoming a coach. So I would leave my day job and then go straight into seeing clients. And that was my lifeline. It was filling me up. It felt flow. It felt abundant. And it was it was helping me to generate self-esteem because I was becoming my authentic self. I was allowing myself to be authentically expressed. And through helping to coach others in a way, I was also helping to heal myself. So I'm doing both for a couple months. And I think to myself, you know what? I'm a little bit scared to take the leap to go full time being a coach. I know it's possible, but I'm scared, you know, money problems. I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to have the money to make it work. I didn't want to rely upon my parents, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm still staying at this firm, even though it's so toxic. The the things that I spoke about continue. And then I will never fucking forget it. There was this one guy who worked in the finance department who decided that he had it out for me. And what I mean, he had it out for me, that he was into me. Mind you, at the time, I had a very serious boyfriend. I was 
absolutely not interested in working work with pleasure. I was not interested on cheating on my boyfriend at the time with this individual at all. I was not flirting with him. I was not dropping hints. I was not giving him the idea that it was possible. He had a wife. He had a child. He had some power in his position. And he would come up from where he, he was working downstairs. He would come up upstairs. He would try and flirt with me. I would try and push it away. He would continue to try and flirt with me. And then he would start to make comments, you know, when we'd be in conversations with people at the office. I remember one time we were talking about TV shows that we like to watch. I said, oh, I like to watch this one TV show. And I remember him saying, oh, I love that TV show. I really wish I met you before I met my wife. And red flag. I was like, um, what the fuck is that? And so I started to put space in between him. And I think that he is one of those individuals now that I'm like, I look back at that past experience and I'm evaluating it more, who really gets off on the idea of someone denying him, of someone saying no to him, because this guy clearly had not been said no to a lot in his lifetime. I also know that he had slept with other women in the office, etc. But I'm continuing to say no to this guy. And then he openly were, I think like a couple of us are, are drinking at the office. We're drinking on, it had this beautiful terrace. It was like after hours and we're having wine or whatever. And he was getting really loose and he corners me and he makes a suggestion essentially for us to sleep together. And I'm like, listen, pal, never going to happen. He then that evening, I think a couple of people from the office go out, but I go home. I go home and he then proceeds to WhatsApp me all of these messages of what he wants to do to me in a sexual way. So I've already told this dude no. I already told this dude to like get lost. And he's he sends me these messages and he's like, my wife doesn't have to know. Like, I know you want me. This is what I want to do to you. Like, if I were, I still have the text message thread. If I were to read it to you guys, it would seriously blow your mind. Everyone that I've shown it to, they're like, are you fucking kidding me? And it's text after text after text after text. I mean, you can tell that this guy is severely inebriated, but that doesn't give you any license to say things that you say. So he sends me all this text. I don't check WhatsApp often because I'm not, especially when I'm not international and I'm not speaking to anyone consistently international, I'm not using WhatsApp. I use iMessage like a normal person. So for whatever reason, I'm not looking at WhatsApp and then I, I see, I'm like scrolling through my apps and I see that WhatsApp has like all these notifications. I'm like, huh, that's so weird. And I go and check and I see the next day that there are these string of messages from this dude. And I message him and I'm like, you need to stop this immediately. I'm going to report you, etc. The only problem is, and I think this was one of the bigger problems with this company is it didn't have an HR department. So reporting, like who the fuck was I going to report it to? It didn't have an HR department. What was I going to go to P-Man and say, hey, <laughs> this guy's sexually harassing me. 
it just didn't feel like I had options because I was facing little tones of sexual harassment for such a long time in that office space. So I tell him that. And then he basically acts like it never happened. And he comes up to my little cubicle and is like trying to be flirty, trying to play it off. And I'm basically like, dude, get lost. He then, I think like two or three weeks later, tries to do it again. Tries to, you know, he's hitting on me. He's telling me all the things he wants to do to me. And I'm like, you have got to stop. Like, I don't understand why the word no isn't going through your brain. You got to let it go. And ultimately, I threaten him. I tell him I'm going to tell on him, etc. And it gets him to stop. And it seems like, from what I understand, he then decides to point all of his energy towards someone else in my office. And it just was so unfortunate and broke my heart, the fact that my word no had no weight to it. That even though I said whoa, whoa, even though I said no, no and whoa, so many times, he kept passing past my boundary, passing past my boundary, passing past my boundary. And I felt so unsafe. I didn't feel like I had a haven. I didn't feel like I had any advocate who would be able to help me. So that was a really large motivation for me to finally say, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care that I don't have a cushion of money that I need to truly leap and do virtual and routine full time. But I cannot take this anymore. So instead of continuing to put myself through the psychological trauma, through this emotional trauma, being in this toxic space, I'm going to trust that because this is seated in my heart, because this makes me feel alive, because this is my aptitude and it feels really yummy to hold space for women in this way and to help women heal, that this is my thing. I'm going to trust that and I'm going to leap. And at that point, the arrow that had been pulled back for so long finally got to make its way forward. I remember walking in to the two, my two bosses, P-Man and then the other gentleman that I worked for, the VP of construction. And I said, gentlemen, today is my last day. And luckily, according to my contract, I could quit at any time. So I got all my ducks in a row. I, of course, when you quit a job, you don't have health insurance. So I had all my doctor's appointments. I was lining everything up. I was saving my last few paychecks. I was getting excited. I was taking really long lunch breaks. I was like, middle finger, fuck you guys. So I go in. I say, gentlemen, this is my last day. They're like, you're not going to give me give us any notice. I'm like, sorry, can't. They want an explanation. And I'm like, it's just another opportunity has presented itself. And I'm moving on. I wish you guys all the best. And I am out of there. I still remember the day. It was August 4th. <laughs> I, will, I don't think I will ever forget that day. Um, there are very few dates that I have such strong emotional connections to. But that date was the day that I chose the emancipation from the illusion that what I desire for my dreams is not possible. It was a day that I chose myself. It was a day that I released parts of the trauma. It was a day that I stuck it <laughs> 
to people who were no longer serving me and released it fully. And because I was in a place where I was in such a rock bottom, I had so much motivation. All of a sudden, I had all of this time and energy and that weeping why that was seated in my heart had room to breathe. I don't know that if I were in a job that were a little bit more comfortable, that I would have been able to catalyze so much success and get so clear on my mission and actually become the coach and the healer that I am today in the first place if I wasn't in such a sticky situation that I had, 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 had to get out of there. And you know what is so amazing is that because of that clarity, because of that conviction, because I got so clear in what it was that I wanted to do in this world, because I was put in such a low place that all of the other fears that I had that were keeping me from that, my business went from business potential to business actual in four months. In four months, I was making enough money to sustain myself. I was booked out with clients. Mind you, I don't think I had more than 800 followers. I did not have like this big following count. It maybe was even less than that. But because energetically, I was choosing myself, I was choosing my mission, and I was choosing to be clear about who I'm here to serve and what I'm here here to do, that energy attracted and brought in those people so that we could come together and do the work of raising the consciousness of the planet by working on our physical bodies, working on our emotional bodies, working on our energetic bodies. Even though that experience was traumatic, I am so happy it happened. I'm so happy it happened because now I understand how to hold space for people who encounter that in the workspace. I know how to hold space for people who deal with narcissists. I know how to hold space for people who are in their rock bottoms. I know how to hold space for people who are looking for their purpose. It allowed me to play with my edges and expand in a way that I never would have before. It contributed to opportunities to allow me to do my own healing. Because I was triggered so much, I was able to pull up the line on those triggers and understand what was behind them. If I wasn't in these circumstances where I was triggered to the extent that I was, I probably wouldn't have worked on those things as fast as I would have. If I had stayed comfortable, maybe I never would have figured out what I truly wanted to do in the first place. So I'm thankful. I am so thankful that I'm able to take that pain and turn it into power, that I am able to take the adverse circumstance, alchemize it, and allow it to propel me to be all that I am. So if right now you feel like you are the version of yourself where the arrow is pulled back, where you're in a rock bottom, where you're working on alchemizing your trauma, where you're not sure what your purpose is, know that the arrow has to be pulled back in order for you to be propelled forward. And the same magnitude that it is pulled back is the same magnitude that it will propel you forward. So with each equal, with each pain is equal and opposite power that lies ahead for you. As soon as I left the company, I decided to cut ties with it completely. I no longer looked into what they were doing. I didn't check in on it. I am not someone who like with an (laughs) ex-boyfriend would go and be like, what are they up to without me now that we're not together anymore? That's never been me. So (laughs) 
with this company as well, I just decided to completely remove it out of my consciousness. And that is something that I needed to do in order to heal. But before I recorded this podcast, I got curious and enough time has passed. I've healed. It is now just a story of something that has happened that I've learned from that I'm very thankful for the, the opportunity to learn from it. That I looked back to see what's going on. The company has, is now bankrupt. It faced a lot of scandal. P-Man is actually facing another nine months in prison. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. But it just like, it's so ironic. It's facing more time in prison because it was found that he was working with a cri- well-known crime family again in New York City. Using one of the projects to siphon money. So right now, I want to take an opportunity for us to send all these people love. And I know (laughs) there is a part of me that's like, karma's a bitch, but there is a part of me that recognizes that people only act in that way, that people only are abrasive, are toxic because of the pain that exists inside of them. Hurt people hurt people. So what serves me here is not to throw up a middle finger and yell karma's a bitch, even though I really fucking want to, but instead to beam them with my heart, love, and forgiveness. Forgiveness is not saying that what they did was good or bad or right or wrong and that the circumstances weren't good or bad or right or wrong. It's saying I recognize that the journey, I recognize that the event molded me in some way that they participated in, but now I'm ready to reclaim any emotional ties, any energetic ties from them and use it towards something that lights me up. So that story I'm not giving it any more energy anymore. That story stops now. I'm glad to be able to share it in, in from a place of service and from a place of hope. And I send love. I send love to any, any of the people who were involved and any of the people who subsequently also were traumatized by the players at play. And I release all of those energetic ties now. Thank you for listening. I know that this story was was quite the story, but it felt so cathartic to be able to get off my chest and to really show that the arrow that gets pulled back always has to move forward. Thank you for joining me on this podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode and if you enjoy the podcast, it means the world to me. If you rate and review the podcast, this allows other people to see what is possible for them when they listen to this podcast. As well, let's be friends on Instagram. If you're not already following me, you can find me on Instagram at Ritual and Routine. And let's chat. I want to hear how this episode felt for you. And if you do share this episode with your friends on your Instagram stories, please tag me. I love to see it. And I appreciate every ounce of your support. So much love for you. Until next time. (laughs) 